Have you ever thought that maybe voting, maybe all this politics constantly surrounding you is not the way to achieve freedom in your life? Hi, I'm Remso W. Martinez, and I ask myself the same question. That's why I'm on a journey to find true freedom in my lifetime. From learning about financial independence, to new ways to develop rugged individualism, to amazing guests living strange, crazy, amazing lifestyles that you've only thought might be real, but actually are. Go ahead and check out my new show, On the Run with Remster W. Martinez at the We Are Libertarians Network. You can find On the Run with Remster W. Martinez on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play. You know how the internet works. Come on down and let's discover how to achieve real freedom in your life together. Hey, everybody. I just want to take this time to give a big shout out to the very first sponsor of the Break the Bell podcast. That is Goulash Media. They can be found at goulashmedia.net. Goulash Media specializes in graphic design, web design, audio recordings, video work, wedding videos, uh, music videos, even political campaign videos. Uh, Goulash Media caters to the little guy with the big vision. You can check them out at goulashmedia.net. That's G-O-U-L-A-S-H media.net. Good evening. Today, our fellow citizens, our way of life, our very freedom came under attack in a series of deliberate and deadly terrorist acts. The victims were in airplanes or in their offices, secretaries, businessmen and women, military and federal workers, moms and dads, friends and neighbors. Thousands of lives were suddenly ended by evil, despicable acts of terror. The pictures of airplanes flying into buildings, fires burning, huge, huge structures collapsing, have filled us with disbelief, terrible sadness, and a quiet, unyielding anger. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to your weekend wrap-up edition of the Break the Bill podcast. This is 9-11, 20 years later, so this is going to be a slightly different uh, weekend wrap-up episode because I feel like we can't really get into all the other shit going on today on this, like, 20-year anniversary. Like, there's, I mean... How do you talk about other things without like addressing the elephant in the room? Really? Right. Yeah. So. It's uh, it's a very somber day. It is. And it is. so um, yeah, it just uh, when you when you think about it, you know, and everything that that comes with it. I mean, it. Yeah, it's just really hard to, to talk about anything else. Yeah. And we we started looking for articles, and I'm like, well, obviously we have to start out addressing 9/11, and then right. the more we looked, it was just like, well. Can we really transition to other right. bullshit stories going on right. in the world after we've addressed 9-11? Yeah. Yeah. It would be hard to transition to talking about Grimace after 9-11. <laughs> right, exactly. So um, we're, we're going to keep – we're going to try to keep this lighthearted the way we typically do shows, but 
it's going to be tough to do that right. for yeah. this because yeah. obviously this is a it's a tough subject to talk about with uh, thousands what like almost yeah. three thousand people that died right. the hundreds of thousands that people that, that have died in the wars that followed and yeah. then all the other shit that's that we've sacrificed for right. for because of 9/11 so this is just going to be your 9/11 edition when it's not even a re- weekend wrap up really it's more of a t- t- last 20 years wrap right. up yeah <laughs> re- right right recap in the last 20 years uh post yeah. post 9/11 yeah because it really was a a dramatic um like crux point yeah it was like in a, american history a turning point in the way the way we did america basically right. yeah and whether that was intentional like certain powers to be that like intentionally shifted it that way the way we saw right. with covid over the last year or just happens to be the the result of it right. one way or another life as we know it as americans changed yeah. it was kind of like uh almost like a, a loss of innocence i think yeah for the country um you know, we, we, you know, a, a lot of us, you know, we didn't experience, um, you know, Vietnam and, and, and Watergate, you know, that yeah. loss of faith in our leaders at that time. You know, we didn't experience Pearl Harbor, you know, so um, this really was kind of a, a, a growing up for, I think, a lot of us. Right. And um, it, it kind of shook us from that disillusion that America is like untouchable like we hadn't had an attack really on our country since Pearl Harbor Um, we've been in countless wars since World War II or countless battles overseas but we haven't had anything really hit our shores since 19 what 45 yeah 44 44 so I mean 60 almost 60 years of really nothing Hitting our shores and us, yeah. us kind of feeling like, hey, we're we're unstoppable force. Um, where our our economy is basically untouchable, even right. though I mean it's always had its up and downs. Yeah. But um, our we have the strongest military. Our our defenses are the strongest. Mm-hmm. But somehow yeah. I mean, there there was just a real luxury of being able to focus on shit that didn't matter. Right. Right. So I want to first. Do we want to do? George Bush, twenty years later, first, we might as well get that out of the way. Yeah, I mean, you did the the George Bush nine eleven. You might as well do George Bush twenty twenty one. Yeah. So George Bush got up and gave a a speech. The part that I find really freaking bizarre, and it obviously was intentional, is if you look at this screen, you can't really see it here. I guess it's cut off. But this speech he gave. The video I found is exactly nine minutes and eleven seconds long. Yeah, that is insane. You think that was intentional? Oh yeah, absolutely. Is that almost like gross that yeah. they would do something that yeah. intentional that yeah. a lot of people probably wouldn't even notice? Right. Yeah. But obviously, I noticed. It was oh, the first I'm, thing I noticed. I was like, "What the fuck?" And you're yeah. like, "What?" I was like, "This is nine minutes and eleven seconds long." Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm sure there's some some op-ed people, you know, some pundits out there. They're gonna be like. Isn't it funny that he his speech is nine minutes and eleven? Do you think that means something? Yeah. It probably does mean something. It means his speechwriter <laughs> timed it for nine minutes and eleven. And seconds. it's like speaking his ears, yeah. like all right, and cut, and yeah, it's like right. and God bless America. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we're just gonna play a few minutes of this. I'm not gonna play the whole nine minutes eleven seconds, but there's yeah. there's there, some stuff I want. There is some stuff. Yeah, and we'll, I'm sure we'll get there. So yeah, because so. there is there was one part in particular in, that you mentioned. That uh, is a little freaky. Yeah, yep. So this is former President George W. Bush 
20 years. And, you know, history really has looked back on him kindly. Yeah, it, which is surprising because yeah. his approval ratings were right. tanked yeah. at the end of his oh, second yeah. term. I mean, he was torn apart. I mean, nobody wanted to have anything to do with him. Mm-hmm. I mean, Canada put on a play where he was assassinated and people cheered. I mean, he was burned in effigy across the world. Mm-hmm. And and now he's friends with the Obamas. He does finger paintings for a lot of money. And, <laughs> yeah, he, he's looked on very favorably now. Mm-hmm. Here is former President George W. Bush, his remarks in Shanksville, uh, 20 years post 9-11. Here we go. You ready? Yeah. 20 years ago, we all found in different ways, in different places, but all at the same moment, that our lives would be changed forever. The world was loud with carnage and sirens, and then quiet with missing voices that would never be heard again. These lives remain precious to our country and infinitely precious to many of you. Today, we remember your loss, we share your sorrow, and we honor the men and women you have loved so long and so well. For those too young to recall that clear September day, it is hard to describe the mix of feelings we experienced. There was horror at the scale, uh, there was horror at the scale of destruction and awe at the bravery and kindness that rose to meet it. I'm going to skip forward. The security measures incorporated into our lives are both sources of comfort and reminders of our vulnerability. Did you catch that? Did you hear that? The security mm-hmm. measures that have been incorporated into our lives, the things that change the freedoms that have been taken from us through the Patriot Act and everything that's kind of followed, they have become a source of comfort in our lives, but also reminding us of our vulnerabilities. So basically saying we can't get rid of these things because remember how vulnerable we were. And right. that bothers me when he throws that out there. It's yeah. just like because— I think it's getting more and more to the point where people are realizing that the Patriot Act was probably not the best thing for democracy. But you, you, you've talked several times on yeah. here how people in your college classes yeah. that that still say that hey, we'll sacrifice a little oh, yeah. bit of freedom right. for our safety. Yeah, and you know, I'm not doing anything wrong. Why should I care what they say? Yeah, that that mentality is still there. So. Yeah. And that kind of ties into like what's going on today with, um, with the COVID vaccine mandate. So we're right. not going to dig into because we are going to dig into that. Well, that right. pisses me off, and I don't want to detract from nine yeah. eleven with me getting pissed off about those mandates. But it's right. the same concept. Like, how much safety are would, yeah. are you willing? Safety to, over security. Yeah. How much security or how much freedom are you willing to sacrifice for the safety mm-hmm. of the entire country? And that's kind of this here. It's like. Yeah. The the safety measures, security measures that we implemented, mm-hmm. it's a source of comfort for all of us. Right. Yeah. It's like a teddy bear we can hold on to and right. be like, oh, the government's going to protect us right. yeah. by yeah. by tapping our phones, tapping our, our personal data, and um, being able to pretty much throw us away in jail. with, yeah. with it, it reminds me of the—you uh, you know, you remember that movie, A uh, Few Good Men, Jack yep. Nicholson? Yep, yep. Where he's like, you know, you can't handle the truth. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, you sit under a, a blanket of freedom that I provide sitting on that tower and you're going to question how I do it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. Yeah. 
So let, let's keep going because there's a little bit after that part that still that ties into that that bothers mm. me as much, if not more. And we have seen growing evidence that the dangers to our country can come not only across borders, but from violence that gathers within. There is little cultural overlap between violent extremists abroad and violent extremists at home. But in their you see where he's going there. Yeah. Domestic terrorism. That's the part that bothered me. Yeah. So, so. we talk about all these security measures with the Patriot Act that mm -hmm. make us feel comfort, but we also have to now turn that and implement it towards domestic terrorism, to on, towards us. Right. Yeah. The right. citizens of this country. Yeah. So um, the same laws that allowed us to just throw people away in Guantanamo for 20 years now yeah. without a trial— we have the same problem with domestic terrorism, and right. we should you implement those same security measures right. to fight domestic terrorism. Yeah. yeah. So, gone are the days of, um, like trial by jury and yeah. all those constitutional rights right. that we're supposed to have. Because, yeah. um, if you want the security that that comfort of the security, you have to sacrifice those right. things. So. Yeah, so now in an email to, you know, your buddy from work or, you know, to grandma saying that, yeah, I'm not vaccinated. I don't plan on getting vaccinated. You know, that's now called evidence yeah, against you. Yeah, for <laughs> whatever. Yeah, you so. could be considered an extremist. Yes. There's the state for pluralism in their disregard for human life, in their determination to defile national symbols. They are children of the same foul spirit. And it is our continuing duty to confront them. After 9-11, millions of brave Americans stepped forward and volunteered to serve in the armed forces. The military measures taken over the last 20 years to pursue dangers at their source have led to debate. But one thing is certain. We owe an assurance to all who have fought our nation's most recent battles. Let me speak directly to veterans and people in uniform. The cause you pursued at the call of duty is the noblest America has to offer. You have shielded your fellow citizens from danger. You have defended the beliefs of your country and advanced the rights of the downtrodden. You have been the face of hope and mercy in dark places. Malign force seems at work in our common life that turns every disagreement into an argument and every argument into a clash of cultures. So much of our politics has become a naked appeal to anger, fear, and resentment. That leaves us worried about our nation and our future together. I come without explanations or solutions. I can only tell you what I've seen. On America's day of trial and grief, I saw millions of people instinctively grab for a neighbor's hand and rally to the cause of one another. That is the America I know. All right, stop clapping. This is not mere nostalgia. It is the truest version of ourselves. It is what we have been and what we can be again. All right, Braced we can cut it off right. there. We get the point. I guess the the most take I get out of this is how 
he switched shifted that towards the whole domestic terrorism thing, yeah. and it just kind of bo- it really bothered me that he would go there. Yeah, yeah, that that's during the speech. The rest of the speech seemed all right for right. George I mean, W. Yeah, it, his typical rah rah. Yeah, um, yeah. The two things that that really stood out that bothered me is number one, he compared the uh, Americans to January six to the people who crashed their planes into um, into the towers, basically, and the yeah. Pentagon. And second of all, he talks about unity after a president who demonizes um, millions of Americans for not getting a vaccine forced on them. Yeah, and I'm sure George Bush is all on Biden's oh, side of this. Uh, you know, because... he he was one of the first vaccinated. But yeah. it's like, you know, you you talk about unity when your president is dividing the people even more. Yeah. And, and that pisses me off. Right. Um, you're dividing people by proclaiming that domestic extremism is one of the yeah. ba- basically basically the thing that we have to worry about right, right now yeah. and we all know what the the extremes they're going to deem anybody that dissents as domestic mm-hmm. extremists and then also the whole vaccine thing going on right now yeah the, i mean it i don't know i i i don't have good good thoughts for him as a human first of all and um i think Without with trying to seem like he's not, he politicized the thing, right? When we don't need a time of politicization right yeah, now, right. so there's enough politicizing going on. There is, so let's let's keep going. Um, I I've got this article that just breaks down the chronology of nine eleven. Sure, and I just wanted to kind of recap on that. And then I want us to just kind of talk about like where we were during this and and yeah. kind of our thoughts through our, our experiences in the last twenty years or on that day and and then beyond and yeah. how how that played out for us. So I'm going to pull this screen up here. This is just kind of a timeline of uh, September 11, 2001. So um, this is from Zero Hedge. I'll post all the articles in the show notes as usual. Um, so September 11th. 2001, at 7.59, it says, American Airlines Flight 11, a Boeing 767 carrying 81 passengers and 11 crew members, departs from Logan International in Boston, bound for L.A. So, based on the narrative, they picked um, these planes that were going cross-country because they had the most fuel on them. So, it's the biggest plane that had the most fuel because it's going from Boston to L.A. Right. So, and... We can get into all we want, what we think about 9-11, if you're a truther or, you know, like, if you disagree with the main narrative. That's not what today is for. Right. Like, I I disagree with—I agree there's a time and a place to, like— question those those narratives and there's a time and a place to say well what about this or you know like this doesn't make sense or how did that fall like straight down free fall 9-11 is not the day for that i don't think because all you do is piss off a lot of people that have a lot of bad memories about that day so this show is not where we're going to be like well that's bullshit george bush like pulled the trick you know like what i'm not saying that that's what we believe but i'm saying there's other shows that we can do that. Right. On. Yeah. This is not that. So right. we're just going to talk about the narrative because that's I mean, what we have in front of us. That's what we have, and we're just kind of doing this in memory of everyone yeah. who died, and not not trying to like pick an old scab off or right. anything like that. So 
814 United Airlines Flight 177, a 767 carrying 56 passengers. These are really small yeah, it really flights. Is. For, for a across, 767, yeah. or yeah, to carry 56 people. Yeah. 56 passengers and nine crew members departed Logan International Airport in Boston. So two left from Logan in Boston. Um, 814 Flight 11 is hijacked over uh, central Massachusetts. There are five hijackers on board. So at the same time that Flight 175 is leaving, Flight 11 was being hijacked at the exact minute. Gotcha. Um, At 820, Flight 77 with 58 passengers and six crew members departed from Dulles International Airport in Washington, headed for L.A. 842, Flight 93 had 37 passengers, and it was a 757. Again, all these are very small. Right, yeah. Passenger list, which is bizarre. Are they, are they like red eye flights? Like, uh, well, it, I mean, you're talking eight o'clock in the morning, right, yeah. seven seven fifteen to eight forty five in the morning. Right. Eight forty two to eight forty six, flight one seventy five is hijacked above Northwest New Jersey. There are five hijackers on board. Eight forty six, flight eleven crashed into the North Tower of the World Trade Center. So eight forty six in the morning is when the first tower got hit. Mm-hmm. It said between floors 93 and 99, all 92 people on board were killed. So that was the moment everything changed. 8.46 a.m. September 11th, when this strong nation, this, this like, uh, unstoppable nation basically buckled, like, just that moment of, like, panic. Right, yeah. It's like, what the hell is going on? I remember um, at that moment, I was in an American civics class, no less. Okay. What grade were you in? Uh, I would have been a sophomore, I believe. I believe I would have been 2001, September 2001. I would have been, yeah, I think a sophomore. Okay. So, oh, I would have been a junior. I would have been a junior. So, um, I was in American civics class, which is basically discussing like your your rights and your duties as an american citizen no less yeah not knowing that civics as a a thought as a concept would forever be changed yeah so that day do they make an announcement in class well my history room was divided with another history room and that guy opened the like accordion curtain things that divided the class he popped in he's like turn on the tv now um, a plane just crashed in New York. And my thought was, like, there's just some dumbass on, like, a prop plane, right. like, flying around, like, yeah. a stuntman type thing. You know, you hear, like, yeah. the, the people that, like, fly between the St. Louis Arch or something right. stupid right. shit like that. Yeah. I thought some some idiot just crashed into a building. Mm-hmm. And so we turn on the TV, and there's just a big plume of smoke coming out of, out of the building. And that's—so I basically saw it maybe— Five minutes after right. this this first plane hit, and I saw on TV the second one get hit. Mm-hmm. So because we watched it the whole rest of the class, right. yeah, and the whole rest of the day, every every class had <laughs> the TV on. So right. that entire day was watching this. Yeah. Where were you when you first found out? Or so I was. I was. Uh, I had just started working at Permar, mm-hmm. and I was being trained by a guy. Where and were you, Kansas City? Then? No, no, where is here, here in Cedar Rapids? Rapids? Yeah, so. Um, and it's funny, we were just in New York in May, and, uh, well, not funny, um, but... Um, ironic, I got you. Ironic, yeah, and, and Jen and I, we were, we were in the city with my uncle, hanging out, 
And uh, we did a lot that day. We went to NBC Studios. You know, we went to the Battery Park. Um, we had a nice lunch at uh, at Jekyll and Hyde's. Um, did a lot that day. Well, Jen wanted to see the the Twin Towers. Okay. And it was getting to be rush hour, and I was like, "I'm sorry, hon, we don't have time." And she's like, "But we're so close." And I'm like, "I know." I said, "We'll we'll see them next time. They're not going anywhere." <laughs> wow, that <laughs> right? is iron. Ironic at its best. Yeah, right, that is right. <laughs> the the worst irony ever. Yeah, I know, I know. So, um, so fast forward, I had gotten laid off from ADT a month later. Started up at Permar a month after that. Was being trained. So I, we were sitting at a gas station. Um, I was sitting in the truck listening to the radio while the guy who was training me went in to get coffee and donuts. And I, I heard, yeah, plane hit a t- hit the tower. Mm. I thought the same thing you did. Some some idiot was was flying a charter. Wasn't paying attention, hit the maybe like hit the top of the tower or something like that, mm. and I and I kind of laughed about it. I'm like, what right. a dumbass! You know? I think even after turning on, seeing the damage of it, I was still like, so there was an accident here. Some right. some cargo jet like yeah. hit. Well, how does that happen? I don't know, but it's still right. at that point. But then when the second one hit, right, I was like, oh shit, this is bad. Yeah, this is really fucking right. bad. Well, and yeah, he came back, you know, and I was like, some idiot hit one of the towers, and he's like, oh, that's dumb. Mm. And so we're driving and listening to it, and um, and and we heard on the radio about the second jet hitting, right? And I was like, um, this is an attack. Yeah, that's and, the moment I yeah. knew this is this is bad. So it, we we ended up going to his house where his girlfriend was, and we turned on the TV to see what was happening. And so we sat there in the living room. And so we actually, we saw the, the tower fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw on TV the yeah. first tower fall. I think I saw both towers fall on TV watching it in that history and, and class. His, his girlfriend, who was standing there watching it with us, she just broke down at that moment. Mm-hmm. She just was like, just bawling at that time. And we're just like, holy shit. You know, and so, um, so I, I called Jen right away to see where she was at, what she was doing. And, uh, and she's, you know, she hadn't heard what was happening. And so I was like, you need to turn on the TV. So she did. And then, um, and so I, and then I told the guy I was working with Mark, I was like, um, I need to go check on my wife. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so then he let me take his truck. I drove over to check on Jen and just kind of talked to her and she's like, what's happening? I said, I think we're under attack. Yeah. And, uh, so, and at that point, like there was so much uncertainty like mm-hmm. what else is going to happen right right i i remember that feeling because i mean small time compared to like some of these other bases but the quad cities has the rock island arsenal right yeah. and so you start thinking like here you got we had the nuke plant here and it's right. just like you start thinking it's like what else is a, t- a right. potential and, well, target? and that was something they talked about is because rockwell it has a lot of defense contracts mm-hmm. so they thought rockwell would also be a target yeah, anything at that point. Mm-hmm. It's like, who right. knows? There's so what, many what? unknowns. And I remember I had heard of Osama bin Laden, I think it was 98 when he they blew up the USS Cole. Mm-hmm. And so yep. I was familiar, and then all of a sudden that name started. And I think, I think that was like first thing that popped in my head because they had already been kind of gearing us up for Osama bin Laden right. hates Americans and yeah. terrorism and stuff like that. They had already kind of been putting that in our brains before mm-hmm. so i i remember after the second plane got hit thinking mm-hmm. that this is osama bin laden yeah. <laughs> like you know um so i'll i'll read through a couple more of these since we're we're getting for in our timeline we're getting right forward anyway at eight fifty, flight 77 is hijacked above southern ohio 903 175 crashed into the south 
face of the South Tower or World Trade Center 2 uh, between floor 77 and 85 with all 65 people on board being killed. 928 Flight 93, which is the one that crashed, right? That, which, according to the story, um, all the passengers like kind of attacked, right? Which, good on them if that's what happened. Yeah. A yeah. part of me wants to think that maybe that plane got shot down because, right? I, I mean, mean, I bet I think at that point, yeah, a- any plane that was off course and not responsive w- was going to get shot down. But they're not going to tell us right. that they shot down a plane. No, a- no, no. So, I mean, you hear all the cell phone things of people right. talking, which I'm not going to go there. Yeah. So that that's the one where you heard all the cell phone calls saying, hey, yeah. we're going to do something about this. And then they supposedly attacked the, mm-hmm. the hijackers and the plane veered and crashed in right. out just outside Pittsburgh. Right. So um, Flight 77 crashed at 937 into the western side of the Pentagon. And I remember that point. They had said they thought a helicopter crashed into it, and oh, then okay. all of a sudden it, and then it came out that it was another plane, and it's just like, dude, what the? When yeah. the third one hit, it was just like, what is fucking going right. on? It's just yeah. because when the first two hit, yes, you knew it was attack, but it seemed pretty isolated. But then when the Pentagon gets hit, it's just like, yeah, what's going like chaos? Like your yeah. brain is just chaos. Like this could be anywhere. This could be anything. Right. We have no. Is is there going to be crashes in L.A.? Is right. there going to be crashes? And, and that in was Chicago? my thought. I, I thought that every major city was going to be a target at yeah. that point. I think everybody did because yeah. it's just like two in New York and then one right after. Yeah. Like forty five minutes later in D.C. Mm-hmm. and it's just like, yeah. Who's we're all vulnerable right yeah. now. We're right. sitting ducks. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. So, um, night. 9.45, U.S. airspace was shut down. All operating aircraft ordered to land at the nearest airport. At 9.59 is when the South Tower um, collapsed 56 minutes after impact of Flight 175. So, so the second one, one again hit. Yeah, I saw it too. I remember seeing it. Yeah. And obviously the news crews couldn't see exactly what the cameras were showing because right. they're like, um, there's a bunch of smoke here. I don't know what's happening. I'm just like... That fucking building's gone. What are you talking yeah. about? It's gone. It's yeah. not there now. Right. It just disappeared. I'm just yeah. like, what the hell? Yeah. Because n- no, we've never seen anything like that in our life. Right. Just yeah. a building that just, was there, just not be there yeah. anymore. And then just like, yeah, just like the the explosion of smoke and debris kind of sweep through the city and yeah. people running through across the bridge, you know, covering their, their yeah. faces. And, and Well, because before that, everyone was trying to run towards it, trying right. to like yeah. save people, right. all the rescue crews and right. stuff. And then after that, it's just like, everybody, get the fuck out. Yeah. And, I mean, bizarre. Yeah. Um, 10.03, Flight 93 crashed in Somerset County, Pennsylvania. Later, reports indicate passengers had learned about the World Trade Center and Pentagon crashes and resisted the hijackers. All 44 people were killed in the crash. At 10.28, the North, North Tower uh, collapsed an hour and 42 minutes after the impact of Flight 11. The Marriott Hotel at the base of the two towers was also destroyed. Um, 10.50, five stories of the western side of the Pentagon collapsed due to the fire. Two and a half hours after the first plane left Boston, the iconic Twin Towers lay in ruins. In lower Manhattan, and brave first responders and military personnel were scrambling to save lives and secure the country. Life in America was set on a new trajectory, and that is an yeah. understatement completely. Yeah, and after after all that... Um, my wife ended up going over to her parents and I, I ended up going back to work mm. and, you know, just uncertain of what was going to happen. But 
But know, I think it's they, safe to say that the whole country stood still. Yeah, at it least did. for like a couple hours. Absolutely, yeah. But then it was. I remember I had to do an install for a twenty-four hour gym over in Vinton, mm-hmm. and so it was. It was just okay. This happened. Not sure what's happening, but I need to go back to work. And that was kind of it. I remember we went through school, and all the classes, like I said, were playing on the TV. So we didn't really have any class until I was in marching band. I was a band geek. Mm -hmm. Um, And we'd go out in the field and practice. And I remember being out in the field practicing, and I saw a freaking jet with fighter jets flying next to it. Oh, shit. Which was? Air Force Air Force One. It was the only plane allowed in the air. Right. Flew right over... My city, a tiny little city in bumfuck yeah. Illinois. Yeah. Um, saw saw the plane fly over, and I mean, no doubt in my mind that Air Force One flew right over yeah, us because right. um, they were getting him the fuck out of there wherever yeah. they were taking him to. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't even remember where he was, but he was doing he was reading that children's story right. in at the, that school. Yeah, that famous scene where the guy whispers in his ear and you know, and then he kind of finishes the story and then he's like, "Gotta go, guys." Yep. Uh, the the country needs me. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, yeah. Um, I mean, that was the first time. I think that's probably the first time I became aware, really, of what's going on. Right. In the world around me, right? You, I mean, I was in high school. I I knew of like, like the Kosovo bombings. I remember that stuff, but it, you yeah. didn't pay attention to that shit as right. a high schooler, or middle mm-hmm. schooler. Um, all all the politics and stuff. I I knew of it with what my parents were talking. Yeah. But it's like at that moment, it's just like the world's crazy. Yeah, and things yeah. instantly change on the spot like right. that for everyone. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I was. You know, I had voted for Gore in that election. Um, oh, you're sad, man. <laughs> you know, I was well, I was an I guess, idealist. Yeah. You know, I was you know um, you know about uh, you know solving poverty and mm-hmm. and helping the poor and and there's no ever never any good reason to go to war, you know and and then that changed everything. So, I mean, what was your feelings of war after that? I, was you pro? Oh, very much so. Yeah, I I was very pro. I was like, yeah, we need to we need to make make glass. Mm-hmm. So, I think everybody was at that point. Everybody's yeah. like, go fuck them up. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. And so, and then I remember listening to you know, um, you know, certain pundits on the left or whatever, being like, well, look, the America just needs to get used to it because a lot of countries get bombed. And stuff like and that would just piss me off. That's not what you want to hear. Yeah. Right, yeah. It would just piss me off. Or people would be like, well, you know, we kind of deserve this. And, you know, and it's like, and stuff like that just was like fuel on the fire. I don't think anybody deserves this. No. Right. No, 3,000 civilians. Yeah. And freaking Afghanis didn't deserve what no. came in the next 20 years. Yeah. Um, the Iraqi citizens didn't yeah. deserve what came in the next, what, five, 10 years? Right. I mean, no. Yeah. It shouldn't. It became like, we have to go fuck things up to right. make things happen. Oh yeah, and people need to to respect us again. Mm-hmm. They need to to know who we are. And I mean that shouldn't be the case, but it also was not the time and place to be like, yeah, we had it coming for well, us. Well, and and we didn't know the intricacies of of Al Qaeda and Taliban and 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 you know Saudi Arabia and you know there was there was so much political finagling going on there right and and we were just like told what we needed to know Mm -hmm. and that was or what we thought we needed to know and that was enough right it's like you know 
I had no differentiation of, of Taliban and, and Al Qaeda. Right. You know, I had no differentiation between um, Obama or I mean, <laughs> whoops, Osama bin Laden and, and Saddam Hussein. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, these guys were threats and they needed to be taken care of. That's yeah. how I looked at it. And they did a good job of pushing that in our oh, faces absolutely. and did, did a great marketing job of blending the Taliban yeah. and Al Qaeda. Right. I mean, everybody was rah, 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 go mm-hmm. America. You know, I it was mean, like post Pearl Harbor, right? Right. Like, yeah, we got. I mean, yeah, we we had people that wanted to go help in World War II, and people that didn't yeah. want to before that. Right. It was it was split. That's why we just didn't get our hands in it because yeah. we had just come were coming off the tails of World War One yeah. and the Great Depression. It's just like we don't need yeah. this, and then Pearl Harbor happens. It's like we gotta go fuck them yeah, up, right? Yeah, we got it. We got it. this. Is America? This doesn't happen in America. And then yeah, because I knew lots of young kids, young guys that were like, you know, yeah, we need to, we need to do this. We need to go, and so they immediately went and, and signed up. Yeah, immediately. Like I, I didn't sign up out of high school for the military. I wanted to, mm-hmm. but my parents talked me out of it, and then. When I was 23, 24 is when I, I talk, a recruiter caught me, and I still had those same sentiments. Like, yeah, yeah we, I mean, and this is, you're talking 2009, you're talking eight years after the fact, right. and I still had these sentiments yeah. like, yeah, yeah, we got to go take care of this because yeah. these guys came and <laughs> yeah. did what they did, and, you know, we got to, we got to finish what we started. And yeah. so I was still all, all for that. Yeah. And yeah. that, I mean, that's, that's what they created. And I was pro Bush yeah. all through oh, his pre- both presidencies. Yeah. I was pro the war on terror all all throughout it. It wasn't until yeah. probably like three years ago that oh, I was yeah. just like, what the fuck are we doing? You know? Right, right. When you come to a realization, a wake up moment, it's just like, what like how are we fixing what happened twenty years ago? Right. Or seventeen years ago, three yeah. years ago, I guess. But um that's where we are and that's what what changed the whole face of America that changed freedom yeah. as we know it in America. Right. Yeah. Um, we still have people freaking locked up in Guantanamo Bay. Mm-hmm. You sent me this article that says just now, today, basically, they are just now... Um, getting back to the trial. <laughs> yeah. Getting, yeah. Uh, After tri- an 18-month um, holdover because of COVID, now they're starting the trials back up yeah, on 9-11. It, you think that's... Um, Intentional timing. It's nine eleven. We gotta yeah. bring these terrorists to justice. Oh, it's I'm like, sure. What, what have you been doing for twenty years? I know. I know. Why haven't you been bringing them to justice for the last twenty years? Yeah. I'm gonna read through a little bit of this article just because. I mean, it applies to what's going on, so we can see kind of where we are yeah. twenty years later when it comes to shit like this. It says Guantanamo Bay in a courtroom just feet away from Guantanamo Bay in a courtroom just feet away from nine eleven suspects. So. It says the men, including Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, have all appeared in court in Guantanamo, Guantanamo Bay this last or this week after 18 month hiatus. Wow, I can't read. In pre trial hearings caused by the coronavirus pandemic. Behind the glass in the viewing gallery have been a small number of relatives of victims of the attack, some members of nonprofit organizations, and a handful of journalists all there to observe the proceedings. Guantanamo Bay already feels cut off from the world, and given the magnitude of this case and weight of horrific crimes being considered, the courtroom here feels all the more singularly alien. Did Guantanamo Bay basically become a thing post-9-11? Was it 
It, I mean, it's it's been a military. Um, I mean, Base, outpost but, for 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 years. But was it actually like where we <laughs> no, held people no, prison without no. due process? Yeah, it was basically a place to just kind of remind Castro that yeah, we're we're here and we're watching you. Yeah. Says, walking into the courtroom for the first time was extremely emotional, powerful for me, says Dr. Elizabeth Berry, whose younger brother, Billy Burke, was one of the firemen in the North Tower when it collapsed. I wasn't quite sure what to expect because you see things in the newspapers, portrayals of the way people look, which are not really an accurate representation when you see them in the courtroom. It was very moving and very difficult. Says Dr. Barry has attended many of the 42 pretrial hearings in this case at Guantanamo Bay and says she specifically wanted to be here for the 20th anniversary of the tax to feel she was supporting the team fighting for justice for her brother and nearly 3,000 others. I felt what better place to honor my brother than here with our other family members. What, what and with this, the prosecution team. That's really confusing wording. <laughs> a trial like no other. It says, It was noticeably difficult for most in the gallery to stop glancing, sometimes staring at the defendants throughout the sessions. Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, diminutive and with a hyena, or a henna dyed, I thought it said hyena dyed, <laughs> orange beard, bounded into the courtroom the first morning to, to his seat beside his legal team. He and the four other defendants talked throughout much of the proceedings, either to their legal teams or to each other. Muhammad would often turn around for long periods, draping an arm over the back of his chair and chatting to Walid bin Atash, the defendant sitting directly behind him, the man believed to have conceived the idea of 9-11 attacks and, and overseen their planning, an animated discussion with one accused of training two of the hijackers. By their feet, it was noticeable that each of the five defendants had a large plastic tube filled with papers and files that they would often delve into. They've got all sorts of things in there, says Alka Pradhan, a lawyer representing Amar al-Baluchi, who is alleged to have provided logistical support to the 9-11 attackers, including through money transfers. How would you feel being the defendant the lawyer defending these people. Oh yeah. Like, no, is he I, a public defender or no, he, so I actually, um, I remember the interview with the guy, um, because he, he signed up to defend them and, uh, they were like, why, why would you do this? Mm -hmm. And he's like, because this is the greatest representation of what America's legal system is. He's like, because these guys need representation. He's like, I may not like them, I may not like what they've done, but somebody needs to stand up for them and and present a decent defense for them. And I agree with that. Absolutely, yeah. Like that is America, and I'm sure this guy that, gets death threats. Yeah, the fact that they're locked away indefinitely without trial yeah, for twenty years. Twenty years. That's a hell of a not a speedy trial. Like that's promised in the Constitution. Yeah. <laughs> so, I guess. Looking back on it, when you found out that they were waterboarding, locking people away, were you you for all that stuff back I then? I was, yes. Yeah, me, yeah. me too. It's just like, do what you got to do yeah, to get right. shit you done. You got to save lives. I mean, this is what you need to do. And now, looking at it 20 years later, we look back and we're like, how the hell did we right. but, allow but this? I was never pro-Patriot Act. No? I, no, it, it, I never was, because I always knew it would be abused. I always knew that it would be turned against Americans. I wasn't even really for due process or the the pulling of due process mm -hmm. because to me it's like okay if you're not going to do it right then you're just going to cause more problems right and we see that look back now yeah 
and I don't even think I understood the full like grasp, right? The the Patriot Act back then. I mean, like I said, I was like a young kid right. in high school. Yeah. I I didn't know what rights were. <laughs> but but in my in my eyes, like okay, they had these guys. They knew they had some you know role to play. Absolutely torture them. Mm-hmm. That was the way I looked at it. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I was a lot very of us Jack did. Bauer. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of us saw it that way, and yeah. you saw the movies out of that time right. frame that like glorified that kind oh, of treatment absolutely. of people. Yeah. And it's it's like, yeah, just do what you got to do to get yeah. some answers. Right. And if it saves lives, then absolutely. Ha- right. What other attacks are they planning? You know, right? And looking back now, what do you think? I I, I think it's horrible. Yeah, <laughs> I could see in a combat situation, you know, maybe, but but when you have these guys that are in a black site being tortured. I mean, they're, after they're no the threat fact. to anybody. Right, right. Right. It's after the fact, you know, they've been locked away, isolated from anybody on the outside. It's like, you're not going to get anything from torture. It's them. like, well, it's like, what detriment does that do to the case? Well, yeah. When they're, they're going to say anything uh, right under yeah. those circumstances. Yeah. And then when that evidence gets proven to be like false information or, right. or gathered under, torture and yeah. we got to throw it out the window it's just like you're only yeah. hurting any case that you possibly had at that point right. yeah goes on to say they've got legal motions they want to talk to us about they've got printouts from advocacy websites amar for example will often ask us to print out recent material from his ongoing campaign with the amnesty international so he can discuss it it is striking that many of the women that form part of the defense team of the 9-11 suspects like alka pradhan wear the hijab in the courtroom in the presence of their clients. Some even consider themselves in an abaya, which they remove in, a, in session during which the defendants are not present. So I, I'm i not really sure what that has to do with anything. I, I, but I think just, I don't know. I mean, to me, you know, they're representing their, their client. Their client is asking them to do, to, to do certain things out of respect for their culture, and they're doing it. Yeah. Says, I do it in the courtroom because several of the guys were tortured specifically by females in very specific ways. The intentional sexual humiliation by women, says Miss Pradhan. You can see difference in the way they talk to you when you put the hijab on. It's not that they refuse to talk to me if I wear a hijab, and it's not that they have ever said you must wear it, but there is a difference in the way they interact with me. I understand uh, that. Again, uh, respect to, or to get... To get somewhere, I guess, right. you know? Yeah. It's not necessarily out of respect. It's like, we can get more done if we just cross this line now yeah. and just... Well, and it, it sounds like they intentionally had women, you know, abuse them and demean them to kind of prove a point, right? Yeah. I mean, it's almost like a form of psychological ter- uh, torture. So, goes on to say, this week for Ramzi bin al-Sheib, the man believed to have organized one cell of the 9-11 attackers... That included a camouflage jacket of the type Osama bin Laden often wore, and that is, what is everybody wears camouflage know, jackets. Right. That, that's not evidence. Anything. That's not proof of anything. Right. Um, and that his fellow defendants, including Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, have worn in hearings in the past. Goes on to say, "I'm glad they're so well taken care of," says Elizabeth Barry of the men accused of playing a part in the death of her brother. Though the hurt she feels as seeing the defendants is abundantly clear. So she's still glad that they are being treated humanely, it, which is is good. It's yeah. good that somebody that's gone through that right. and had that personal connection with her brother dying, mm-hmm. like trying to save other people there, um, for her to be like, I'm, I'm glad the defendants are at least being treated like humans. Right. 
says, I think we do good to take care of these guys, and it's obvious they get better health care than I get. But it's all part of the process. It's part of accepting that this is what has to happen in order for it to come to a resolution. And I don't know. I think that just says that's just a way of us saying we're better than them. Right. Yeah. To treat them humanely in the yeah. very least. Absolutely. It's like we're not going to stoop to that level. Mm hmm. Anymore, I guess. Right. I yeah. mean, we stooped pretty low. We, yeah, we we stooped for a bit, and then we came out. <laughs> yeah, and now we're to the point where it's like we can't be that. Yeah, we can't just because somebody did something so horrible right. to us, we can't give up on humanity just right. to. Well, and, and you know, it's it's if we do that, then and I hate to to sound cliche, but they win. Mm -hmm. Right. And I mean, even enacting like the Patriot Act, they win by the, having the TSA lines. You know, mm -hmm. they win, you know, right. by because we, we've gone to this place of fear that we've been in for 20 years and it doesn't look like we're coming out of. Right. They win. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's what they've done. And again, like you said, we're not getting into the narrative of like who did what, whatever. But if you go by this narrative, they've won. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, if we give up what we are as a country, give up the freedoms yeah. that we've come so long to love and has made this country, then what they did was to shake up our democracy, and they did it. Yeah. And yeah. It, they weren't trying to, like, destroy America. Like, it wasn't a war. Right. Like, where you're just going to, like, take over this country. That's not what this was. This was basically... Let's shake up America. Yeah. Let's let's basically they they made us eat ourselves from the inside yeah. out right. and and mission accomplished, I guess, in no, a way. Absolutely. Because you, you, you look at what happened 20 years ago with the enacting of, of the Patriot Act and, and the these um, pulling of due process to, to get these suspects. Mm -hmm. And you think about everything that's been done since then, you know, the the, the Pfizer court um, um wiretappings you right. know that have been used against their own politicians you know that are used against americans you know that are going to be used against january 6 people that are going to be used against people that don't want vaccines yeah i mean it, it's just been a slippery slope like all things do because the government and, and I, I i don't want to take away from the day and the victims but the government saw hey we can get somewhere with this right right this is a way we can kind of expand what we're doing and I think this week alone has been drastically used to emotionally charge Americans. Oh, yeah. To get us emotionally worked back up with, um, you know, Afghanistan falling right. back to the Taliban. That, I mean, that messed a lot of us up. Yeah. A lot of people that have connections with 9-11 victims, a lot of people that have connections with uh, people that went and served and died right. in yeah. Afghanistan. I mean, it... Yeah. Played an emotional toll on us for the last month now, right. and then the whole pullout being specifically designed to happen by nine eleven yeah. that was to emotionally charge us. Right. Um, we have um, there was there was there was something else. Oh, um, they're releasing the papers oh, right. over the next couple weeks yeah. on the Saudis' roles in this thing, and mm -hmm. it's it's just like just just getting us all. All yeah. shaken back up about and, this, and that's kind of one of the reasons why I, I, I'm kind of 
pissed off about it because I think about where we were at September 11th, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, so much uncertainty. And then I remember where we were at September 12th, Mm -hmm. where we were like the America everybody wants us to be. Right. Right. And then I think, okay, you know, everybody who, who ran into those buildings, everybody who signed up to serve, there's a possibility that it, well, it, there is no possibility. It was political theater, mm-hmm. right? All the rah 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 that in the Congress and in the legislature right. and, and the media and everything. It, it was political theater, and I I think that's coming back out this week. It's just like, hey, it's the 20th anniversary. Right. Like, let's report on this. Let's do this. Let's release this these papers. It's like you know that's intentional. It is, but but see, for me, it wasn't political theater. It was genuine. It was, yeah. And, and for 90 percent of America, it was genuine, but not for government officials because. Right. They, I mean, it's proven for at least 20 years now that they use any of these things to push whatever agenda that they want to. It's just like, we can take an event like 9-11 and be like, oh, this is sad. And watching that video of George Bush, you can almost see a a smirk on his face. Like, he doesn't seem sad when he, on that, the 2001 video we played first. It's like... It wasn't a. So- it didn't seem too somber. I mean, yes, he's just getting up and reading a speech, but right. still, you would think he would like somehow break down. Like that would be a yeah. moment. Just giving that address right. would cause me to like get yeah. shaken up, and well, it wasn't there. Well, and there is there. There's a clip they've been playing a lot lately, and it's when he's standing there with the firemen in downtown, mm-hmm. and he puts his arm around one, and he, and you know people are start chanting USA, and he's like, you know, I hear you. And I was like, um, the world hears you, and soon the guys who knocked down this tower are going to hear us, you know, mm-hmm. and everybody does a raucous cheer. And, I mean, for years, I equated that almost to, like, Independence Day speech, mm-hmm. right? And so, again, I, I just, I get frustrated because the feelings were genuine in most of America, mm-hmm. and I feel like it, it's been manipulated by our leaders. Yeah, Absolutely. So what do you think of this, um, all of a sudden deciding to release this F- FBI report on the Saudis' role on 9-11? Now. Like, right. Like now. Yeah, I, I find it really interesting because, um, you know, right before it went on, I, I re- uh, read you about how America's pulling their missile defense systems from Saudi Arabia. Really? And, um, and so it just makes you think that almost like, okay, the honeymoon's over. Somebody pissed somebody off because we're not protecting Saudi Arabia anymore. Yeah, and for not wanting to get into the conspiracy theories, I I have to ask the question, like, why have we protected Saudi Arabia so long? If if it actually happened the way they say it did, like, why why would we— because I think it's a pretty open secret now that yeah. Saudi had some some kind of role in 9 right. It's like, well, they've what? been the elephant in the room for the last twenty. Yeah, years. it's like, what's protecting them to keep us from right. like asking at least asking the questions? Right. You know, like, right. um, we talked about the Taliban and um, we talked about how we should be like, why aren't we going into Pakistan and yeah. and fighting it fighting on that ground instead of going into Afghanistan where they're sending all the Taliban into. Right. But then there's the same question. It's like, why aren't we doing anything to figure out what the fuck, what was Saudi's yeah. goal or um, role in this, this, this whole ordeal. And it, it's just like, 
is there some kind of cover up there that they kind of have something on us right. for us not to ask that question? Right. And why now, yeah. the week of the 20th anniversary, are they is the FBI saying, hey, we're going to release some papers on this? Right. Yeah. So I got this article you had sent me from Al Jazeera. It says, families of the victims of September 11th attack are suing the government of Saudi Arabia and a United States federal court in New York are expecting the U.S. government to imminently release a key FBI report. The 16-page report, which seems really short for really an short. FBI report, is an FBI summary and analysis of the agency's long-running investigation into the activities of two of the September 11th hijackers, Saudi nationals, Khalid al-Midar and Nawaf al-Hazmi. So both of those hijackers were Saudi nationals. And who else was a Saudi national? Osama bin Laden. Osama bin Laden was uh, basically Saudi royal. (laughs) Yeah. says, in January 2000, the al-Qaeda operatives arrived in California where they were assisted by other Saudis. The FBI report, which may be redacted upon its public release. Then why fucking release it if it's going to be redacted? Yeah is expected to provide details into the FBI's inquiry into who helped the two, uh, according to a lawyer for the September 11th families. It's unclear that other parts of the government may have known what was going on, but clearly fairly high-level and mid-level Saudi officials working for the government were part of this conspiracy, said Andrew Duke Maloney, a lawyer uh, with the law firm Krenler LLP, representing the September 11th families in the litigation against Saudi Arabia. Now, 20 years after the 2011 attack, or 2001 attack, sorry, uh, that resulted in the deaths of nearly 3,000 people in New York, D.C., and Shanksville, Pennsylvania, the family lawsuit accusing the Saudi government of complicity is nearing a turning point. Either sufficient evidence to support the lawsuit will be presented to the court or it will fail to move forward. The pending report is an analysis by agents who looked into how Al-Midar and Al-Hazmi who spoke little English and had no independent resources when they arrived in the U.S., gained a foothold in L.A. and in San Diego. Lawyers for the families believe they can prove there was a cabal of Saudi government officials who are conspiring with the al-Qaeda operatives, Maloney told Al Jazeera. The lawsuit's goal is to win a financial settlement for the families of the victims of the attack. So we have, it's a civil suit for money is all it is. And if that comes to something, then what? Right. right. Shouldn't we cut all ties with Sa- the Saudi government at that well, point? Oh, yeah. Right. I mean, if they're, if the high-level officials that knew about stuff and, and helped prop things up, yeah, I would think, that, I mean, like you said, serious questions need to be asked about this. Yeah. And I think there should be some some retribution or some kind of, uh, you know, like financial, I don't know, some kind of legal or financial um, restitution. So again, I ask the question, why now? Why are we looking at this now, 20 I, yeah. years later? I, I, why weren't we looking at this 20 years ago or 19 well, years ago? I or? mean, there, there's been proof that, I mean, that Bush had connections to Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. you know, to the, the royal families. You know, I mean, I, I don't know if it's been proven, but we know that um, bin Laden had family in the U.S. that were, were flown out of the country mm-hmm. um, under, with protection. And so... You know, there there was connections there that they obviously were trying to keep swept on their rug for whatever mm. reasons. Even if it was just to keep the conspiracy theorists from going nuts like right. they did anyway. Yeah. Um, 
if there is that connection there between the Bush oil family and the Saudi oil families and yeah. um, the Saudis had anything to do with it, then the conspiracy theorists are going to go nuts and be yeah. like, well, Bush clearly had something to do with this. Yeah. And But keeping it secret, as right. we know, just raises more questions. Well, it's like, get the elephant out in the open. Exactly. So. And it doesn't stop the conspiracy theorists from... from theorizing and doing their research. No, it fuels it. it, does, it does. Exactly, it does. With, when you don't have transparency, yes, it just fuels it. Yeah, so um, the other thing that I thought was really charging, emotionally charging, was apparently the Taliban held a flag-raising ceremony of the Taliban flag over Kabul on today, on September 11th, um, which I thought we had seen the flag over Kabul. I thought so, too. But yeah. they held a specific ceremony today, and that's um, kind of a slap in the face. It really is. And um, for there to be so many like reports on it, to me, it's just like, well, why don't we just do them no credit and just right. not report, just yeah. not talk about right. it? Exactly. Yeah. Just right. not right. even like give that any credit at all because mm-hmm. all that does is get us all riled back up, which yeah. is what they want. Absolutely. I mean, there. You know, there's still people out there that want us to get back into oh, the Middle absolutely. East and and absolutely. blow shit up and yeah. and fight the terrorists or whatever, but mm-hmm. I think a lot of us are like, okay, we're out. Let's just yeah, just leave it the fuck alone now. Right. And you got the war whores out there, like the Fox News people that are like, still just charging people up. Yeah. Charging up the vet- veterans, because what does that do to all the people that have connections to be like, hey, look at them. They, they raised this flag. Right. On this day, yeah, as a slap in the face. I mean, it just gets us all yeah. all worked back up. Well, and you're you're seeing a real disconnect between the boots on the ground and the and the and the brass. Mm-hmm. You know, right now, more than I've ever seen. Yeah, and um and yeah, I mean, just a real real lack of confidence and leadership right now when it comes to the brass and military. Right. Um, it's funny. I was I had read an article about uh, I was reading an article about Patton and. Uh, and man, people were like, "Man, we need guys like Patton to smack Millie around right now, <laughs> right? <laughs> and get get some generals with balls out there." Yeah. So we're almost out of time. I had this final article called "The Unseen Cost of the War on Terror," which the War on Terror obviously was what came out right. of nine eleven. And Al Jazeera calls them the Forever Wars. It, they're not wrong. I mean, right. again, we we fought. In circles for twenty years, well, and, and and what's your opinion? But mine is that we're not done yet. We're not no, done over in the Middle East. We're not, but, but not by a long shot. No, we're not. We'll be. No. We'll, we'll be back. We will. The government's got to take care of some business at home first. But yeah, well, they'll yeah. be back. Yeah, and we got all them domestic terrorists that right. George Bush talked about that exactly. we gotta we gotta fight. So we gotta use the Patriot Act on and everything. So this one, the unseen cost of the war on terror. I just want to end with this note, just to let you know like kind of how things devolved really fast in the yeah. after 9/11/2001 so it says it, it starts out it says it's similar for generations before mine to when Japan attacked Pearl Harbor or the moment that president John F Kennedy was shot for me it was early evening Moscow is seven hours ahead of New York and I had wandered over to the trading floor of the investment bank to chat with a trader. Strangely, the TV in the corner, usually ignored, with the volume turned on, turned down, was the center of attention, and it was immediately clear why. 
20 years later, we're, we, we're remembering 9-11 and the 2,977 victims of the four terrorist attacks by the militant Islamist, Islamist terrorist group Al-Qaeda on American soil. And the people in total, a multiple of the number of Americans who died on that day, who have died of illness stemming from being exposed to the debris of the attacks. Says the cost of the attacks on America in terms of human lives was enormous, and in a different way, the cost of the resultant war on terror, as launched by then President George W. Bush, shortly after the 9/11 attacks, to direct every resource at our command in order to disrupt and defeat the global terror network, is similarly incalculable. The price of the war on terror that was launched by the events of 9/11 has been the fundamental reweaving of the very fabric of American society government and culture into some something thinner and more likely to rip unravel and tangle so that's what we're t- we we had talked about at the very beginning yeah. america as we knew it the strong fabric of america yeah turned into basically like tissue paper mm-hmm. like yeah they it just completely unraveled at the seams and yeah. for whatever reason became something so different than what we knew it to be. Yeah. Says the astronomical cost of the war on terror beyond the lives lost in the $8 trillion all-in price tag has included the end of American privacy and the erosion and redefinition of freedom, a permanent fear and distrust of the world around us, the dissolution of one, America, one of America's greatest intangible assets, its soft power, and a dangerous war fatigue. So I want to... Scroll down and cover a couple of those things that they talked about. The first being the end of privacy, which is the thing that we have the biggest issue with, which right. we should have the biggest issue with. Right. One of the ironies of the war on terror is that its objective of countering terrorism has long enjoyed almost unprecedented bipartisan support. Like you said, everybody was on board right. with this for, for years, for good part of the 20 years. Yeah. Every, everybody was on board with it. Only the struggle to control and contain the Soviet Union during the Cold War experienced a similar level of sustained across-the-aisle consensus. Efforts to win the war on terror, though, have been a slippery slope and have undercut some of the liberties the war on terror was supposed to be defending. Today, an abundance of caution, quote-unquote, can lead to excessive and unnecessary and ultimately counterproductive efforts to contain COVID-19. He went there. He tied coat. Yeah. The shit we're How talking about with COVID nineteen and all. I've been our... trying not to because I know we're talking about it. In... Yeah, but but it's there. <laughs> I know, I know. And at the height of the war on terror, there was no political upside to exercise restraint in the effort to fight Al Qaeda, particularly on American soil. One result has been the construction of a surveillance society in which the longstanding wall between surveillance for law enforcement purposes and for intelligence gathering has been dismantled. So there's. That the wall came down then, mm-hmm. like the the restraints of law enforcement surveillance, yeah, just was obliterated immediately. Right. Yeah. Like they they can spy on whoever they want at oh, this yeah. point. No one before it was. I mean, they were probably still spying on us, but this just took out all the restraints and right. all the it, it, yeah justified it. <laughs> yep, an important part of. This was the Patriot Act, the quick approval and eventual de facto permanent institutionalization of which stemmed from the stop-at-nothing attitude towards the war on terror. If the parents of preciously precautious toddlers can be hoodwinked into paying more than $72,000 for preschool, um, 
since after all that might make the difference between admission to Brown or just Tufts, I don't know what that means, and after all nothing is too good for Junior, it isn't surprising that it didn't take much to convince congressmen that no liberty should be left unsacrificed for at the altar of the war on terror. It's basically saying, hey, we'll, we'll throw money at just right. preschools, so why wouldn't we? I mean, that's the level of um, unimportant things that we... Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. So, yeah. The Patriot Act, in effect, loosened the restrictions that had long been a bedrock of the assumption of privacy on government entities acquiring personal information about citizens that could possibly perhaps maybe link them to terrorist activities. And just like bureaucracies don't simply fold up and go away when their assigned task ends, laws that extend the power of government agencies, privacy, and his close friends, freedom, and civil liberty be damned. Don't instantaneously dissolve when the immediate threat has passed. And we've talked about that with right. COVID restrictions. It's like once you give the government so much power, they don't mm. give that power back. Right. It's so classic. Not, yeah, it's not like... Hey, um, temporarily we need to ramp this up in order to fight mm -hmm. the terrorists, but we'll give it back. I mean, look, 20 years later, the Patriot Act still stands. Oh, yeah, and it's been more power added to it. it says the Patriot Act has been trimmed and expanded, spun off, revamped, and reauthorized. There you go. Just like what you said. 20 years on, it's evil spawn have hacked away at privacies, liberties, and freedoms that Americans once took for granted. And today in post-9-11, post-Edward Snowden world, there's little doubt that they are listening, or rather they can whenever they feel like it, and that you're as much a terrorist as you are a moon-shooting billionaire is irrelevant. Right. So then it goes on to permanent fear is the next... next. Yeah, which is where we're, we, we've been for the last 20 years. And yeah. It just keeps getting built onto. Yeah, well, they keep building onto it because then they can keep seizing Absolutely. power Climate in the name change, of fear. Climate change, pandemics... Says War on Terror Bureaucracies Exhibit A is the Department of Homeland Security, the proud employer of a quarter of a million Americans with a fifty billion dollar budget. Need a rosin diatre? I don't know French. I hate that they ruin French terms. What is it? Rosin diatre? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Rosin diatre. There you go. And in a world where data is power, government agencies and the politicians who ostensibly oversee them need a reason to collect more data. Like mojitos by the pool in a flying Qatar Airways business class, there's no such thing as enough or too much data. And the funny thing is that the, the Homeland Security guys on the ground, I mean, we know them. Mm. I mean, they're, they're not for any of this. Mm -mm. I mean, they think that surveillance is, is pretty much bullshit. Yeah, we put cameras up at the home. Yeah, and they don't even here, want them. And they're like, we don't want that shit yeah. here. It's like, well, somebody above you does. So. Yeah. What a better way to do that than cultivate a sense of fear of terrorism forever. America's president since grandfather of the war on terror, George W. Bush, have regularly pulled the levers of fear of terrorism to their benefit. And you saw that 20 years later in Absolutely. George Bush's speech. He, yeah. he dared to bring up... Um, domestic terrorism yeah. to keep to, that to, to compare the people on January 6th to the terrorist of 9/11. Yeah, or I, or anybody else that yeah. dares to like step up against yeah, what's right. going on. You're a domestic terrorist, yeah. and um, whether because he said whether it's outside of our borders or within our borders, yeah. we need to and, we need to keep fearing them. And, and I'll be completely honest, I 
every September 11th, I've expected something to happen. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they warn you uh, all the time. You yeah. see the articles like expect or uh, security is ramping right. up yeah. with an expected terrorist attack yeah. on 9-11. Former President Donald Trump elevated turning fear into power to an art form, as Foreign Affairs magazine explained in 2018 says Donald Trump helped incite a wave of fear about terrorism and the, then wrote it to an unlikely electoral victory, vowing to ban Muslims from entering the United States. But see, I don't—I never thought of that, though. I, I didn't think that he was pushing fear. I mean, when he, when he was banning Muslims from certain countries, I didn't think anything of it. Well— if you think about it, when Donald Trump took over presidency, ISIS was at its peak. No, I remember I that. I mean, we we went from the Taliban to Saddam Hussein right. to Al-Qaeda to ISIS right. overnight, basically. Yeah. Which, it just and merged and merged and merged. Created ISIS. Yeah, so. and that was the whole Muslim ban was yeah. the fight against ISIS. And yeah. so I can see where they're coming with this. Right, yeah. But yeah, you don't you didn't think about it then. No, but I, if you look back I didn't on think it, of any rise of fear at all. My fear was coming from what the fuck was Trump going to do. Yeah. But American presidents and legislators may be fueling the American frame of mind of fear as much as they're mirroring it. Think Tank and public opinion pollster Pew Research Center explained that defending the country from future terrorist attacks has been at or near the top of annual surveys on policy priorities since 2002. So all the, um, the polls or surveys that they send out Defending against terrorist attacks has been like one of the top hmm. fears of people. That's interesting. For 18 years now, or yeah. 19 years now, since since they started doing it. As recently as 2020, before COVID-19 emerged as more immediate concern, 74% of Americans said that terrorism should be a top priority for the U.S. government. Hmm. That compared to the economy at 67 That's crazy. and jobs at 49%. That's insane. Yeah. As tw- 2020. Now, yeah. obviously, the fear of COVID is right. it has taken that spot. But we still have the fear of domestic terrorism. They keep mm-hmm. cramming that into our brains. Oh, yeah. And they're merging that with COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Because if right. you are against all these vaccine mandates, you are an extremist. Well, and now they're merging it with September 11th terrorist. Yeah. yeah. So... Says, is this permanent sense of fear justified? The American terrorism industrial complex has grown like a weed on steroids, which is for some justification itself. So we know fear is power. Yeah. Power yeah. is fear. Right. And they'll do whatever they can to, yep. and it, it ties in with the other one. Yeah. People will are, gladly give up their, their freedoms for security. We've seen that. You know, We talked about that on our first show. People will gladly give up freedoms for a $1,200 check. Yeah, yep. Or just like the sense of security. Right. Like we've been doing that for 20 years. Yeah. And then it talks about the decline of American soft power. And this one's interesting to me. It says, soft power is the ability of a country to influence and convert preferences and behaviors of other countries, companies, and communities by using attraction or persuasion rather than through force or coercion. Mm -hmm. Soft power is winning the hearts and minds through leadership, values, and weapons of mass influence. What's that? Yeah, right? It's the flip side, but a key complement of hard power, or bullets and bombs. In the war on terror, the power of the American persuasion has been, in theory at least, an important element of the arsenal. But as I wrote in July, the United States has in recent years been losing soft power ground. It's ignored abandoned long-held security and multilateral arrangements and commitments, like it's wavering support of NATO, leaving the Paris climate. Ag- so this is saying right. that I think we should have got out of a lot of those. Yeah, things. we should have. But it says Joe Biden has tried to reverse 
these soft power goals. But the latest chapter of the War on Terror, the exit of American force in Afghanistan, has washed away like fragile topsoil on the floodplain any small advance by the current White House in rebuilding soft power. And I, I don't necessarily agree with that, but I do yeah. agree that gone are the days of like diplomacy. It's just no, like, yeah. I got a button, and I'm going to use the fucking button. Yeah. Yeah, no, you don't see where, you know, the president can call up another leader and they'll talk it over and and somebody will bow, back down, you know, with right. a handshake. Right. You don't see that anymore. No. If it's anything, it's like <laughs> backdoor deals that we don't know about. Right. And, yeah. And How many are getting sacrificed sh- sh- Shady-ass deals, yeah. says, whatever... So the last one is War Fatigue America. Whatever your vice penthouse view of the beach... Saikuan food for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, 18 holes, blah, 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 would probably get old after doing it every day for two months. And that's to say nothing of two decades. Sustaining excitement and engagement uh, for the war on terror, no one's idea of fun, for 20 years was, of course, impossible. The share of Americans who thought the initial decision to use force was wrong doubled from 2006 to 2018, for example. That reflects a broader decline in support for the war on terror, despite continued concerns about jihadist terrorism on American soil. This drop-in interest reflects a dangerous war fatigue. Under four presidents, the American people at first celebrated... I I don't want to keep going through this, because I think there should be war fatigue. I think people should get sick of fighting the same thing to no end. Yeah. So a lot of this article I, I kind of disagree with. Right. And it's just like, yeah. should we still be excited to fight this war 20 years right. later? No, we should have came to this conclusion eight, like 16 years ago. Right. Dude, we got to fucking end this right. thing. And Yeah, I mean, it's like, okay, you got the Taliban out of Afghanistan. Pull out, right? right. I mean, I going back to Patton, I, I like Patton. Um, you know, he always said, you know, you, you don't win a war by holding. Yeah. You... you, you you know, you move forward. You keep moving forward, and once the enemy is moved out, then and you you don't hold. Right. You pull back. You're done. Yeah. You've defeated the enemy. You don't hold because if you hold, you lose. Yeah. And I I feel that's been our problem the whole time. It says the risk at the risk to America from the end of privacy and aura of permanent fear. The decline of soft power and war fatigue are rising. Um, I think I think the two big ones for me are. The end of privacy and that permanent fear. We will never go back to that. Well, and again, I think when the government saw where they could get with that fear, they they kept hedging their bets and and pushing forward. And, you know, I mean, they talked about climate change before, but now, like I I had mentioned before the show, I mean, it's like major number one issue with a lot of people is climate change. Yeah. And now we're into the pandemic. Yeah. And that's the number one fear item that people that is dividing America right now. Yep. So, looking back over 20 years, yes, yeah. I, I think it's safe to say we've majorly declined as a country. Yeah, I think so. Again, we're, we're not, you know, we're more divided than ever. Yeah. We have less freedom than ever. We're living more in fear than ever. Um, you know, I, I think there's more ignorant people. I feel like there's um, people unwilling to keep an open mind now than there were before. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like... You know, I feel like the country has is really, well, as one would, living under an umbrella of fear. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's exactly what what's happened, and and they learned, the powers that be learned 
from 9-11 that they can do whatever the hell yeah. they want with that fear. Right. As they long can... as they flout your, your security, you'll you'll do whatever you need to. Yeah. And we saw, saw that this week when Biden came out and, and talked about the vaccine mandate, where it was basically like, yeah, damn your freedom. Like, right. we got to focus on... Yeah. On the security, on like the safety here, and um, I think what who was it? Was it Washington that said um, if you value security over over right. freedom, then you basically yeah, I think it was Franklin. Yeah, Ben. Franklin. Yeah, it was Benjamin Franklin. I saw the meme. It's just yeah. like without without those freedoms, you don't have right. security. Yeah, basically. and that's exactly it. I mean, Americans. I mean, it's built on freedom. Mm-hmm. You know, Americans, they, they arm themselves because they they believe they can defend themselves. And and if there's that unity there, then I agree with that. Yeah. And, but when you divide them and then you put this fear in them, uh, then they're not able to defend anything. Right. They, they depend on the government. So Benjamin Franklin's quote says, Any society that would give up a little liberty to gain a little security will deserve neither and lose both. And people have long lost that mentality. Like, without liberty, we don't have security. Without personal freedom, we've just given given up all of it. And we're just living under um, this, like you said, an umbrella of fear where every decision that they want to make they can make because they know they can poke you with that that element of fear it's like like well climate change is the biggest threat to national security for blah 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 or COVID 19 is the biggest threat like all they got to do is throw biggest threat to national security and we can fight a war on it the war on climate change the war on COVID 19 the war on domestic terrorism anything they want and it all started on 9 11 2001 as horrible of a day as that was yeah, that's where it started, and it's sad to me to think that it would take another nine eleven just to bring the country back together. Yeah, yeah, because that's how divided we are, and that's the last time I think that we came together was yeah September twelfth. Yeah, and it was all fabricated off our fear, basically, yeah. of of terrorism to bring us yeah. all together, and I think. I think that's what they're trying to do with a lot of this stuff. It's like, oh yeah, everybody's going to get on board with this, and right. and out of fear, we're all gonna, they're all gonna comply. But yeah. but, well, but it's gone beyond that. I mean, it, because those that aren't scared, they they're trying to bully, and yeah. they're trying to use social pressures to make you conform conform to what they feel is best for the security of the country. Sure. So how do we go back and honor those? lost on 9-11 without all this negativity towards post-9-11. Yeah, you know, I, I think you you got to not be afraid, number yeah. one. You know, not be afraid and, you know, not use your freedoms that you have. You right. know, don't, you know, speak out. Don't let social pressure bully you. Yeah, you're going to get some hate mail. Yeah, you're going to get some people pissed off at you, but probably get deplatformed. Maybe deplatformed, but you know what? It's worth it. Right. You know, don't don't give in. Right. Like like you said about midway through this about a half an hour ago. If you give into that, if you willingly give up your freedoms out of fear, we just fucking lost. Right. Yeah. In the last last 20 years or the events 20 years ago were all for nothing. And and we fucking lost because we let an incident of a small handful of people that knocked down 
a building and killed a larger handful, but yet still a handful of people. Yeah. Uh, that's not right. detracting from all the lives lost. Yes, it was horrible. Almost 3,000 people lives lost, plus the millions lost in the war. If we let that one event, that one day, just completely derail yeah. our, our freedoms as we know them, then we lost. Yeah. And then they, the terrorists won, or whoever it was that that did this, they yeah, won. Right, right. So, yeah, the the division, the fear, you know, the the, you know, soaking in what what is spoon fed to you, you know, that's just that's that's giving in, you know. Right. I think this day, twenty years later, September eleventh, twenty twenty one, needs to be the day. That we take back all that shit that we yes. lost on yes. 9-11. Yes. It's the day we need to stand up and be like, I don't agree with this. That goes against our freedoms. I'm not going to comply to this. I'm not going to give in yeah. to that fear anymore. This, 20 years later, needs to be a, a memorable day because this is the day that we, we take that shit back. Yeah. And, and you know, as call back to ex-President Bush, mm-hmm. you know, we need to make them hear us. Yeah. Period. Not the terrorists. No, not the terrorists. The people that are the people that are putting fear, fear on us. us. Yes. yes, they need to hear us loud and clear. Yeah, that we will not be scared. Yeah, that we will not comply. Yeah, this is our fucking country, and we want our freedoms yes. back. We need to get out of here. We are long overdue, but um, this has been, like I said, a uh, kind of a recap of post nine eleven and everything yeah. that happened. And take time to like have some sort of memorial to what we lost and who yeah. we lost in all this, especially if you have people connected to yeah. the war that you lost lives in what, the, the watch, wars or in... Go, go back and watch the footage. I mean, yeah. just kind of remember where you were at at the time mm-hmm. and and decide not to be scared. Right. We got to get out of here, though. Um, we are going to talk about the, um, the vaccine mandates that Biden is pushing through yeah. um, on Monday for that live episode. So expect us to get really pissed off for that. Yeah. We just didn't want to detract from right. September 11th today. So um, finish out today remembering everything. Grab your, Reach down and grab a pair of balls and get ready to like actually fight for your freedoms yeah. because it's coming. It yeah. is absolutely coming. So um, be back here Monday night, 7 Central Time for that uh, live stream of our our main episode of the week, and um, we're going to hit the ground running. I think we're yeah. we're gonna go for it. So um, enjoy the rest of your week. Otherwise, we will catch you on Monday. Goodbye. Peace. The Break the Bell podcast is brought to you by you. So pat yourself on the back because without you, we would be talking to ourselves. A special thanks to our Patreon members. Remzo and Justin. A shout out to our sponsors, Run Your Mouth Coffee, the On The Run Podcast, and Goulash Media. If you'd like to help support us, visit patreon.com slash breakthebell or buy our garbage at breakthebell.bigcartel.com. Get back here next week and let us continue to invade your ear holes. And as always, never stop talking. <laughs>